You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. This week, we explore the work of God the Holy Spirit in overcoming the effects of original sin. Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in John a little bit and and in Romans a little bit as we finish up um, a series that I had not planned whatsoever. It's just just, I felt something was uh, put on my heart to share that I've been studying and learning and um, and shared that the first week. And then we were looking again, um, had it in my mind, in Joe's mind, but maybe not being led so much by the spirit, at least for now. Maybe that's down the road to, you know, maybe spend the summer looking at uh, the way of wisdom, looking at some wisdom literature and this, that and the other. But um, God put this on my heart and added to it last week and kind of finishing up uh, with it this week. So hopefully everyone has received a chart, a chart that we attempted to fill out the first week that we were looking at uh, the origin of sin and where I failed to actually put the slides up on the screen for you guys to fill out as we go. So some of you, I'm sure, caught some of it, but not all of it. So now you have everything. And what we're going to basically do today is look at the, the last section, the Holy Spirit's work in us. So, the reason why that I'm really diving into this and trying to understand this is, is because I, I feel like it's just like going to the doctor, right? The, you know, doctors do their absolute very best to, to take all the knowledge that they have and to examine you and to figure out what's wrong with you so that they can apply the proper medicine or procedures to alleviate your pain or alleviate what might be going wrong with you. They, they do the very best they can, but if they're completely off in the diagnosis, their solution is not going to help them. Well, to me, that God created us, right? And, and, and the fall happened in, in Genesis 3, and then God spent, and I, I was going to remember that number that, that uh, Marty had splurted out yesterday, that, that he spent a ton of chapters uh, fixing this problem. And if we get the problem wrong, if we're going to the Bible with the wrong problems, it's not going to be fixed. So if we understand original sin and how it affects us, then we can understand as we open our Bible and read the Bible, okay, this is what God is fixing. Like he, he'll, he, God tells us some things about all kinds, a little bit of everything, but the main thing is, okay, Joe, this is how I'm fixing original sin. And yes, it, it took many years and there's a lot of things and, and it was done in his timing and in the way that, that he did it so that we can, we now have the word of God. It's inerrant that it's not, you know, it, it's true that we can see the character of God and who he is. And, and you know what? Most of the Old Testament is revealing and it's pointing to Christ, but it's also revealing our original sin through Israel. We watch Israel and we see this all the time, right? We see it all the time how they just fall back into and fall back into, but we read the promise that, no, one day I'm fixing this. One day I'm fixing this. This is, you know, he's going to fix this. So what we're going today is I'm just going to do a quick overview, go right down the first column, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the Spirit's work in his part in fixing original sin. This is Good. This is good for our D groups. This is good for community groups. This is good for our families. This is good to know whenever you go to the Bible. Okay, what is happening inside of my heart? 
Right? So the, the baseline for all of this, keep this in mind, the baseline for original sin is that it has affected every single human being on the planet. Right? So those that are not in Christ, that have not been regenerated, um, this is how they live. They live in the flesh. They live in their own autonomy. They're always trying to fix themselves, right? The, the Word of God, if you read Romans 1, it says that everyone knows that there's a God out there. Everyone knows that they're guilty. And so what they're doing without the, without the Holy Spirit and without the Word of God and without Christ's work is they're trying to fix themselves all the time. Now, us who are believers, those that are, are born again, um, have been brought into the kingdom, have been brought in, in Christ. And now, although that we do have a new heart because he's given us a new heart, he's revived our dead heart now that we can see Jesus for who he is, but we still wrestle. That's why we kind of looked at, at the, the, the like over-dramatized part of Piper's message about making war against our flesh. Because see, although that we have been saved and we are being saved and we will be saved, we still wrestle with the flesh on a daily basis. Some days it seems like, oh man, that was a good day. I, I, I like walked by the Spirit that day and some days it's like, oh, that was kind of miserable, man. I, I just didn't, everything that the flesh wanted to do that day. Yes, that's the kind of the, the war we're in. So to help us to diagnose the right problem, that's why we stepped into this small series on original sin. And it's good to see, and, and, and it's amazing once you get this inside and now we have a chart and, and this will get worked and, and I'll turn it over to some people that, you know, and just ask them, okay, how can I say this better? How can I make this clear? How can we add some, maybe some graphics or something to it to, to help us to, to flush it out even more? But at least you have something to look at to say, okay, what's going on in my heart? Remember, this is going on in your heart all the time. It's just, it's just churning, right? It's churning. It's all the time happening. And it just kind of pops up here and there. And, and so this is what original sin has done. So, right, Adam and Eve, they were, they were made in the image of God. And in some way, the Holy Spirit, uh, we don't know. The Old Testament doesn't tell us. And there's no definitive thing. Are they indwelt by the Spirit? Or is this idea that the Spirit has impinged on them? But the whole idea is that somehow, some way, the Spirit's influencing Adam and Eve. Right? And then the fall happens. They decide to take the route of their own autonomy, right? Did God really say that? Did God really say if you ate that, this would happen, right? And that's what we always do. We're consistently going through that question. Did God really say that? If, if I do this, it'll work good. But if I do this, I, I really want to go do this, right? We're, we're consistently working that. So because they sinned, because they disobeyed, death came. Now, death Physically, did not come immediately, it came 700 years later, but death spiritually came immediately. The Holy Spirit is no longer influencing them. The Holy Spirit is no longer indwelling them. Again, you know, we don't have enough information to, to make that call on it. Did he dwell in them or just impinge on them? Is so to be. So, but it left. The Holy Spirit left them. And spiritual death happened. So if you look at the, at the first uh, section, death, going straight down, we'll work with that. What happened? The Spirit of God is rationally taken, relationally taken away from the human spirit. So death in Hebrew means re- broken relationship. So now there's a broken relationship between all humans and God. Romans 5, you can go to Romans 5 later on, and it shows you how everything that happened to Adam and Eve because of the fall has been carried over to us because we're in Adam before 
We are born again and, and put in Christ. Everything that, that is true of Adam and Eve after the fall is true of us, even though this was thousands of years ago. We're, we're all part of the same human race. And by the way, um, we might not like that, and we might find scientific ways to get around that, but this is God, and this is His design. This is His world. He gets to say that we are affected by that, because we are. We're we are affected by that. So the, the Spirit of God is, leaves them, and, and just like this is how we are born. We are born without the Spirit of God. We do not have the Spirit of God dwelling in us when we are humanly born. The objective experience is we are born spiritually dead. Each one of us are born spiritually dead. And that our original righteousness is lost. Because remember, God is a holy God. Nothing unholy can be with God. He cannot be in his presence. That's why he casted them out of the garden. Because they lost their original righteousness. Now they're outside the garden. So all of us are outside the camp, so to speak. And that's a really cool a thread to run all the way through the Bible, how, how the unclean people were always put outside the camp and, and, and the clean people were in the camp and there's certain things that everybody had to do to become clean so they can come back into camp. And oh, by the way, what did Jesus do? He went outside the camp, up on the hill, and made the sacrifice so all of us can come back into the camp. This is a really cool thread that runs all the way through the Bible. That was just a bonus. That's extra. Um, so we, we lost our original righteousness, right? It, it was lost. The subjective experience that we feel, this is what's happening in our hearts. Sometimes we are aware of this. Sometimes we're, we're not aware of this. It's this ex- existential loneliness. In other words, we feel like we're alone. There's, there's something, there's just constant dissatisfaction in our hearts. And what happens is, is we're born in the state of autonomy, so... So what we're doing is, is we're seeing this. We're, we, we know that there's something wrong and, and we feel this loneliness. So what is our sin tendency? We fill the hole in our heart with finite things. In other words, we fill the hole in our heart. We run to the things of this world, as, as John would say in his letters. We run to those things and we, we stuff them in our hearts. We, we think that these things are going to fulfill us. Right? And we can list out hundreds and hundreds of things that we do that with. And it's different for all of us. It's different for all of us. That's our sinned tendency is we fill the hole in our heart. We're, we're constantly filling it. This is idolatry, right? You think of Israel. They, they've had this grand miracle. They get to walk through a sea. And how long did it take them? They're waiting for God to speak to them. And they take back their own autonomy. And they make a calf. And we're going to worship the calf. It's an idol. It's idolatry. This is what we stuff in this heart all the time. It's idolatry. And again, I'll remind you a thousand times. This is what's happening in your heart. And much of it, you don't even recognize. You don't even recognize it until either the Word of God or the Holy Spirit decides to point it out to you. And it's it's a glorious thing when he does. Because it's okay, Lord. Um, Now I, I get to repent. I get to turn from it. I get to... Renew my mind about what your word of God says, and I get to fill the hole with you. And that's the only thing that will ever satisfy. It's the living water that satisfies. It's Christ. So what did Jesus work on our behalf do? He purchased, we, were, we have been purchased by Jesus, 
And it's been applied by the Holy Spirit. So if you think of the Corinthians passage, right? You were bought at a price. What did he purchase? He purchased your temple. And he cleans it so that the Spirit of God can dwell in you because, guess what? Without original righteousness, you cannot be in the presence of God. Without righteousness, you cannot be in his presence. So this is what happens. And what was the Holy Spirit's part in that? Regeneration. It's regeneration. And you know what? This is completely passive. Right? It's, it's by hearing the Word of God... And God's sending the effectual call out by the, through the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit quickens our heart. Then all of a sudden, the, you know, we've, we've, we've heard our friend tell me the gospel ten times. And I'm like, oh, here's number 11. This guy, he's, he's a Jesus freak and he's going to tell me. That. Then all of a sudden, whenever he's talking to me, something happens. Wait a minute, that makes sense. Or, I, I, I desire that. Well, that, that's the Spirit working and changing your heart. Right? He's changing your heart. That's regeneration. Now, we've talked a lot about that at the back end of our time in First John. So I'm just going to kind of uh, go over a little bit about uh, regeneration and, and basically do it in the form of a story. Again, this is something that's passively happening to us. Although we might be listening, right? And, and, and we might be paying attention. But as, as the Word of God comes out, the Spirit changes our hearts. He gives us the faith then to respond to the gospel. I found a, a neat story about regeneration from, from a book in, in, by R.C. Sproul tells this story about having a meal with a man that briefly met once, that he briefly met once before. That man was Billy Graham. We discussed several things on that occasion, but in the middle of our discussion, after each had shared our conversion experience, Billy related, uh, related to me what had happened to him as a young man when he came under the influence of preaching of Mordecai Ham, a speaker doing a series of services in Charlotte, North Carolina. Billy had mentioned this episode of his life many times in sermons and books, but to hear it from him personally after all years was a very humbling experience for R.C. What came across in his story was that he seemed as excited about it as if it had just happened yesterday. So Billy's telling him about his conversion story and what happened and how it happened. And he's just excited about it as if it just happened the day before. He was so filled with passion that he had been kindled years earlier in that moment when he met Christ. He described all the things that he went through as he was drawn to Mr. Ham's services and listened night after night until the finally it was irresistibly drawn to Christ. In the end, Billy looked at me and said, the Holy Spirit did it. The Holy Spirit did it all. He was talking about being born of the Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit comes as the wind on Ezekiel's dead bones and makes them alive. Right? He, he tells, Jesus tells Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes. We cannot control it. There's no way that, that we can control the Holy Spirit in that way. He comes into dead hearts and he quickens them by an act of all, his almighty power. Right? Because we were born spiritually dead. Right? If, if something, and not speaking anything into existence, if, if my heart would stop right now, I'm not going to get up and go over and get the defibrillator to restart it. I'm hoping one of you all will do that. 
In the same way, we cannot restart our spiritual hearts. It is by the Spirit. It's by the Word of God. It is, it is all God. John Owen says it this way, we receive the Spirit as a vessel receives water. That's how, that's how it happens. And then what happens is, is the hole is filled. This is what happened at Pentecost. Now, now the hole, now, now, now that we've been separated, right? From the fall, we were separated from, from the Holy Spirit to Spirit dwelling in us. Now, now, because of Pentecost, because of what Christ has done for us, now the Spirit has now indwelling with us. He is back with us. He is back with us. That's, that's wonderful good news for each and one of us who are born again. Now, the, the second thing that happened at the fall is we've, we've, we have inherited corruption. Right? The one man's disobedience, Adam, all of us have been made sinners. We have been corrupted. Our souls or spirits have been corrupted. All the same idea within the Bible. Objective experience, the love of God no longer orders the capacities of man. No longer full of God, instead full of self or the flesh. So in this inherited corruption, if you think, I wish I had that. I wish I brought the whiteboard up because it's so easy to see whenever you, you draw it all out. If you think of your heart as a circle, right? And in the center of the circle, there's an eye and then there's the Holy Spirit. And then in the fall, the Holy Spirit leaves. And now because you're regenerated, the Holy Spirit's back. But each one of us, if you just draw a line out from your heart, has capacities. And we all have thousands and thousands of capacities. What I talk about when I say capacities, I'm talking about love, desire, thought, you know, um, playing the piano, doing your job, all these capacities. And before Adam and Eve, before the fall, every single one of those capacities for Adam and Eve was governed and controlled by the love of God, right? They, they did everything they did for the glory of God. They worked for the glory of God. They named animals for the glory of God. Everything they did, they did for the glory of the God. They could not help it because the love of God overshadowed them because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. So now, what has happened, the Spirit left in the fall, an original sin that now we have capacities to love. We still have the same capacities, but they're kind of disordered a little bit. Some of them are really disordered, and some of them are just a little bit disordered, right? But we have these capacities that are no longer ordered by the love of God. Now, what do we experience in that? Our subjective experience is shame. Why? Because we know something is wrong with me. I don't want to be seen. There's something wrong with me. All these, these, these capacities that I have, they, they are disordered. And I know that. And I don't want to be seen. Think about Adam and Eve, right? At one point in time, they were naked and unashamed. And then just moments later, now they're naked and ashamed. They're, they're hiding. They're, they're covering themselves. They're running for cover. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with me. Why was it, you know, however time ago it was that, that we could be together and we were naked, it didn't bother us one bit, but now all of a sudden, something has changed. Now I know something's wrong. And that's our shame. So what is our sin tendency is we cover. Most common cover is either a false identity and sometimes along with hiding, it is moralism. It's being a good person. Right? How do we cover the most? I'm a good person. 
I'll, I'll do the right things and I'm a good person. And that, that covers me thinking that there's something wrong or knowing that there's something wrong. So we put this out there that, that I, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm sure that most of you have witnessed to someone and you can't go to them with original sin and say, look, this is who you are. <laughs> you, you're, you're pervasively depraved. Isn't that good news? No, they don't. I'm a good person, Joe. What's wrong with you? And most of the time they're defining that they are a good person by what? Someone that, that has a capacity that is really whacked up and, and, and they do some illegal things or they do different things or they have a, you know, a capacity to say that they're just a really angry person. So they're always yelling at somebody. And so we're defining our goodness by I'm not like him, kind of like the person that went to pray in the Bible. I'm so glad I'm not like that person. That's shame. We're covering. That's all he's doing. He's covering. What's wrong with him? He's covering that. And Jesus' work on our behalf is his perfect life is now credited to us. Righteousness restored, justification. In other words, his robe of righteousness now covers us. Yes, we are still struggling with sin. Yes, there are some things wrong. We have not been fully glorified yet. But you know what? I can rest in the fact that when God the Father looks at me, he's seeing Christ's righteousness. The robe of righteousness now covers us. His robe. It's just whether or not we believe that or not. It's whether or not we believe that or not. So what is the, the Holy Spirit part in this? He pours the love of God into our hearts. He pours the love of God into our hearts. Look at Romans 5.5. 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He pours his love into us and he starts reordering all our capacities so that now that they're ordered by the love of God, that all we do is we do for the glory of God. Owen, John Owen writes of this, the Holy Spirit gives plentiful evidence and persuasion of the love of God to us, such as the soul is taken, delighted, satiated, which means satisfied with. It satisfies your soul. He pours his love into your spirit and he satisfies your soul. To give a poor sinful soul the belief that God is Jesus Christ and he loves them he delights in them, is well pleased with them, has thoughts of tenderness and kindness towards them. Yes, you, my, your capacities might be all messed up, and they are, because that's original sin. But you know what? He loves you in spite of that. He cares for you. He delights in you. He died for you. What it does is it gives a soul an overflowing sense of God's mercy. This is a, the work of the Spirit in us. He's pouring out God's love into our hearts. Owen goes on to say, As all his works are works of love and kindness, so this is of communicating a sense of the love of the Father, mixes itself with all the particulars of his actings. So remember that, the Holy Spirit has fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, right? Now we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and he's reordering our capacities so that our capacities look like his. And that's what he's saying here. 
that the love and kindness, it's, it's all being reordered so that in the end we're glorifying God. We are no longer living through self. We're living by the Spirit. And how is it that, that we live by the Spirit? Remember last week where we, we talked a little bit about the Ephesians passage where it says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And then in the Romans passage, it says to be transformed. And both of those grammatical statements are in the passive voice. In other words, it's given us a command to do passively. Well, how in the world do we do that? We do that through faith. That's the action that we do it through. How do we be filled with the Spirit? We, we, we believe what the Bible says. We believe what Christ says. We believe what the Spirit's showing us. That's how it gets reordered. And we renew our minds with what the, the Bible says and what the Spirit is bringing to mind. This is exactly, he said, one of the roles that Jesus said one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is. In John 14, 26, what does he say to them? But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He's going to bring to remembrance. It's one of his jobs. So how do we renew our minds? He's going to bring to remembrance what we have read. But if we've never read the Bible, if we, we've never read it or, or been in service or been in a Bible study or been with people that are, that are teaching the Word of God, then there's nothing to bring to remembrance. And this is the way he pours his love so that we can act in faith, that we can believe the word, right? That we can believe the word about us, who we are, what God has done. Particularly this passage for the disciples, this is Owen again, says this. Our Savior here promises apostles that the Holy Ghost should bring to their minds by an immediate efficacy the things that he had spoken that by his inspiration they might be enabled to write and preach them for the good and benefit of his church. That's kind of the immediate context for the disciples. It's like Jesus has been telling them, he's right there with them, telling them about all these incredible promises, and it doesn't affect their heart one bit. We can prove that. What did Peter do on the night before Jesus is crucified? He denied him. He was with him for three years, and he was part of the inner group. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration, but yet he didn't believe until, now you fast forward a little bit, Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit comes in the upper room, and then all of a sudden what happens? Now this dude that was denying Jesus is now preaching a sermon that, that brings 3,000 people to faith. Many theologians would say that that's the Holy Spirit using you above your character, right? Like we would say maybe today, like oh, above my pay grade, right? That's above my pay grade. Well, the Holy Spirit just decided I'm going to use Peter. Here it is. Let's go. <laughs> that's being filled and working. I think that's what we see a lot in the book of Acts. Again, back to the disciples that were, that are going to be reminded of what Jesus said. See, in 2 Peter 1.21, it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. He's bringing the mind. He's pouring the love of God in you through the Word of God so that you can renew your mind, so that you can turn from the way you're thinking to thinking of self, that you can come and stop covering yourself because you truly believe in faith all that Christ has done for you, that you have his righteousness now. You no longer have 
to cover your shame. See, he had been speaking to them things suited for their consolation, giving them precious promises of the supplies they should have from him in this life, of the love of the Father, of the glory he has provided for them, and the sense and comfort whereof is unspeakable, and a joy arising from them full of glory. He's pouring his love into our hearts. These great promises that Jesus told his disciples had little effect on their heart while he was still with them. But when he leaves and the Spirit comes, how full of joy did he make all things to them? How full of joy did they have now? I mean, so much joy that whenever, whenever they would preach the gospel and they'd be get thrown into prison, what would they do? They would rejoice. They would sing See, this is, the, this is the Holy Spirit pouring His love in our hearts. And by the way, this is the work to the end of the world. To bring the promises of Christ to our minds and hearts, to give us the comfort of them, the joy and sweetness of them. That's what He's doing for us. Not only did He did it, do it for the disciples, but he, He's doing it for us today. That no, no matter what, what suffering that we walk through or persecution that we stand up against, that, that we can have joy through it. And because of the love of God that the Spirit is pouring in us. As the Holy Spirit pours His love in our hearts, it reminds us of the promises of God. This orders our capacities and renews our minds so that we can be transformed. That's His work. He's working in us to do that. And the way we make that connection is through faith. Do we believe what the Word says? Do we believe it enough to act on it? This is why James wrote the whole part about, you know, your, your faith without actions is dead. Will we act upon it? Will we turn away from some of the things that we're stuffing the hole with and turn to God and trust Him in what He has said is good and right for us to be doing, thinking, Believing, this is the work of the Spirit. This is how we're being transformed. And the last thing that original sin is, is inherited guilt. And again, in, in Romans 5, it tells us that one trespass led to condemnation for all. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why have we all sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Because our capacities are disordered. They are no longer ordered by the love of God. So therefore, even though we might be out there doing all kinds of good things, it's really for our own glory, not the glory of God, before the Holy Spirit changes our hearts and then starts working out that process. And you know what? Many times for us Christians, we go about doing things, and what, we, what do we do? We, we do this often, and maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. It's like, okay, am I doing this because I want to glorify God or Joe? And we wrestle with that. And the easiest thing is just go do it, especially if it's a good thing, and then check back with God. Because it, there should have been some time on the front end praying and talking to him and seeing if about what you're to do is of him or just of the flesh, right? So one trespass led to the condemnation for all. Therefore, the objective truth for every single person, every human being that's ever born, is that we are under the judgment of God. We are under the judgment of God. And subjectively, how do we, how do we experience this? It's guilt and fear. We live in a defensive posture, right? 
It's guilt and fear. If you think of Adam and Eve, when, when God entered the garden, what did they do? They jumped for cover. They were afraid. That's what the Bible tells us. They were afraid. It's fear. We're living in fear of this guilt. And again, Romans 1 lays this out, that we all experience this. It's happening in our hearts. I'm just trying to bridge that gap. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't, I, I, I don't feel this shame, and I don't know what you're talking about, guilt. Well, it's happening in your heart. You, you just haven't seen it in the scope of the gospel so that he can point it out to you and help you change. Yet, one day he will. One day he will as he transforms us and sanctifies us. So what is our sin tendency? We hide and blame. We hide and blame. Right? We, we hide and we blame. A lot of times we will hide by what? Our profession. We hide with, with many identity things that we have. We cover and hide. So original sin, our hearts are trying to stuff the hole. They're covering the shame. And they're hiding from the guilt. And we love to blame others because it's exactly what Adam and Eve did. Right? They first blamed each other, then they blame the serpent, then they eventually blame God, right? So we hide and blame. What does Jesus work on our behalf? How did he fix this? Jesus takes the wrath I deserve and pays the penalty in full. You no longer have fear for judgment. You no longer have fear of death. That's the penalty for sin. There's no longer that fear is gone. It is absolutely gone. He's paid the penalty. You can come out of hiding. Your sins are forgiven. It doesn't matter what other people think. You can share. In fact, the best way to do evangelism, and I just learned that through all this study, is if you think about it, if the unbelieving person right, is experiencing loneliness and they're hiding and they're covering, the best evangelism is to give them the freedom to come out of hiding. It gives them the freedom to, to, to stop covering. And the easiest way to do that is to show them how Christ has helped you do the same. That's powerful evangelism, I think. Yes, do we, we need to proclaim the gospel? Yes, we do, because that's how we learn that we're, we're regenerated, right? The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to regenerate us. But, but if we're doing some one-on-one evangelism, it's... It's can you make that person feel comfortable enough to come out of hiding? Because they're all hiding. We're all hiding. We're all covering. It's because of the original sin. So that's the seems to be the one of the ways that we can evangelize. So what is the Holy Spirit's work in us? It removes fear by testifying to our spirit, we are children of God. He's reminding us, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. Do I have scripture for that? Sure. Romans 8, 14 through 17. It says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Of God. That's the Holy Spirit's work. It bears witness with our spirit. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer, we'd like to leave that one out. 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, suffering comes in many ways. That suffering comes from the outside world pushing in. That suffering, whenever we step out for God and it gets pushed back. But you know what? That suffering also happens whenever we're trying to kill the flesh, stop living on our own and trusting in Him. Our bodies are going to feel like there's a war happening. And we're going to suffer a little bit. But it's all worth it. It is so worth it. So if you stop and think the unbeliever is the children, is a child of Satan, that's what the Word of God says, and of the curse or of wrath. That's what the Word of God tells us, that he is the ruler of this world. He, he is the ruler of this world. By the Spirit, we are adopted to be children of God. By receiving the Spirit of our Father, we become the children of our Father. Because we have His Spirit, we are now His child. His witness will bear witness with our spirit. Whenever all those doubts come in, no, you are a child of God. If we're trusting and believing, if we're not you know, exercising our faith, then, then Satan will come in or, or someone will say something and, and rob it all. Because we're not trusting, we're not believing. We're not filling our, our minds with the word. Because we are being sanctified, we have areas of unbelief. Every single one of us. Every single one of us have areas in our lives that we just don't believe the gospel. Right? Some of them are very glaring. Some, I'm sure every one of you that, that has the Spirit in you, you're working on some sin. Or I should say that the Holy Spirit's working on you about some sin. Right? And then there's other sins that you don't even know about yet. Thankfully, He doesn't give them all to us at once. That would just crush us. But He's a good and gracious God, so He's, he's bringing us about... Because we are being sanctified, we all have these areas of unbelief. So our soul slips into the old condition. This is when the Spirit comes and bears witness to our spirit. Owen flushes this out this way. The soul, by the power of its own conscience, is brought before the law of God. There a man puts in his plea that he is a child of God, that he belongs to God's family, and for this end produces all his evidences, everything whereby faith gives him an interest in God. In other words, Owen's kind of taking us into a courtroom that's happening within our own spirit, soul, right, or in our own heart. Satan, in the meantime, opposes. So, right, you, you, you get this pushback, and, and then you're, re, you, you're bringing to mind, look, no, I'm a child of God, and, and, and you're giving the evidences, and this, that, and the other. And, and then he says in this kind of courtroom idea that Satan, in the meantime, opposes with all his might. Sin and law assist. Many flaws are found in this evidences. The truth of them all is questioned, and the soul hangs in suspense as to the issue. So which way are you going to go? You're going to, you want to give in to the flesh, or are you going to go... With the Spirit. In the midst of the plea and contest, our advocate, the Holy Spirit, comes and by a word of promise, again, this is going back to the Word of God, He's consistently reminding us of who God is, what He has done, who are we in light of what He has done. Right? He's, that's, that's what the, the Word of God is doing in us, overpowers the heart with a comfortable persuasion and bears down all objections. In other words, all the, all the objections of Satan, right? That His plea is good. That he is a child of God. 
And whenever you know that you know that you know that you're a child of God, fear is gone. Because Hebrews tells us our number one fear is death. And death has been taken away. And then all these other fears as we cover and hide because of shame and guilt can be vanquished. And this is the Spirit's work in us. If we are exercising our faith, if we are believing and trusting, if we are renewing our minds because of the Word of God, we are reminding ourselves things like this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or where John told us in 1 John, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Let's go back to our hearts and our capacities. They're being reordered by the Holy Spirit by love. And you know what? His love casts out all our fears. For fear has not to be, has to do with punishment. You no longer have to worry about being punished. You're, you're no longer guilty. Jesus has saved you. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It's a process. It's a process. This is an incredible gospel that he gives us. This is all of grace. Original sin causes this hole in our heart that we, we forever, how many years that we live without the Spirit, we train ourselves and we learn how to stuff that hole with things just to get through the day. And then one day God sends His Spirit and changes our hearts. And the Holy Spirit then fills that hole and He starts working in us to bring us out of hiding, to bring us out of covering from the guilt and shame that we experience from original sin as He works in us. And He gives us a wonderful faith family to come alongside us to do that with. As we word to God, we read the Word of God, as we yield to the Spirit, as we by faith interact and commune with the Spirit. Just the amazing gospel, all that God has done for you and for me. And for every believer, just absolutely incredible. Just absolutely incredible. God loves you so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes will have eternal life. Will have eternal life. So as we prepare to take communion, I have a prayer for you. We can leave it up on the screen. It takes a moment for us to switch things around. And, and maybe you could just ask God, ask the Spirit to reveal. God, what is it to, lean, to learn to follow your leading? The leading of the Spirit in my life. What does that look like? God, show me. He's a living being. He's... Do we talk to him in that manner? God, what is it to learn to follow your leading, the leading of the Spirit in my life? Do I do this much, or am I always taking the lead? Am I always taking the lead? Let's pray. Father, I just ask the Holy Spirit to work. I know he is working Lord, as when I say the last word and, and each one here is left with just you and this prayer, 
and the Word of God that they know in their, in their minds. I just ask the Holy Spirit, if, if someone's here that just doesn't believe that they're a child of God, they're wrestling with that. Lord, we, the Spirit witness to that? Or will you pour your love into them right now? Lord, and, and maybe there's one here that the Spirit of God is, wants to bring those dead bones to life. Lord, I pray for that person. I pray that you would do that for them today. Father, I thank you for all that Jesus has done. I thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word. And Lord, I pray for each one as we are left for a moment to pray this prayer. That they would seek you and quiet their minds so they can hear from you about these questions. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.